This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's Thursday on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Layla Tassi, filling in for Chris Quinn, who I'm sure is enjoying his time off this week. I'm joined by my colleagues, Laura Johnston and Lisa Garvin. Ladies, I'm, I'm feeling especially hopeful this morning because our family hit an important pandemic milestone yesterday. My, my toddler got her first dose of the COVID vaccine. So I'm I'm just thrilled. Congratulations. My husband took her. Thank you. Thank you. My husband took her in for the shot. He said she she did great. I'm just so happy for her because perhaps this will be the year she finally sees the inside of a restaurant. <laughs> right. Did she get ice cream afterward? Like didn't your other kids get ice cream? <laughs> this one just wanted to like come home and go to sleep. Like, you know, she's one of those kids like Fair. cries it out and then just wants to zonk out. So um yeah, I just uh feeling pretty good about that and, and the prospects for twenty twenty two. But uh, but anyway, we have a, a lot of heavy stories to get to today, so let's uh, let's get to it. Former Cleveland police officer Timothy Lohman, who shot and killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice while he played with a pellet gun outside the Cadell Recreation Center in 2014, is once again carrying a badge and gun, but not in Cleveland. Which police department recently hired Lohman, Laura, and and for heaven's sake, why? why is the question I want to know, right? Like, isn't there some kind of database out there for, like, bad cops like there is for child predators? I mean, there should oh, that be. That would be such a great idea. Right? Because this is the second time he's actually gotten hired since he got fired from Cleveland. And remember, he only got fired and kept being fired because he lied on his application, not because he shot Tamir Rice. But this is a tiny town in north-central Pennsylvania and it's called Tioga. It's got 700 people. It's near Williamsport, which I think is only famous because of the Little League World Series. He would be making $18 an hour as the only officer on the force. The mayor was really surprised about this. He said it's up to the council to hire. And you think that they would be, you know, checking some background. You know, maybe Googling him would help. Exactly. Right? This is not like a, you know, John Smith name. I feel like it would come up. Um, I'm hoping that this happens the same way it happened the last time he got hired by a small town, that they realize the mistake, rescind the offer, and he can go work in like a, I don't know, a quilting store. I, I know. You, I just don't understand how, how in the world, how in the world did this escape the review of any decent police department or HR department? Like you said, you don't even need to do a background search. All you need is a Google search to figure out who this guy is. I mean, that's uh, when people go on dates, they do a Google search right. on the person. Right. Like, you're hiring a cop for heaven's sake. I mean, right. and the answer that would come up is he is one of the most notorious perpetrators of a police shooting in recent history. And that will be the first thing that comes up. And that'll be the only thing that comes up for probably 100 pages of the Google search. So I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand how you just say, yeah, sure. You're hired, son. <laughs> well, I do. I go ahead, Lisa. No, I, I just can't imagine that they would have a lack of applicants. That sounds like a plum job for a cop. I mean, you right. know, the only cop in a small town. I mean, sign me up. But I, you know, I although eighteen dollars an hour. I mean, you can mm -hmm. make that at Target right now. 
True, true. But yeah, just that's mind boggling. I think it's it's also amazing to me that, yeah, go ahead, Laura. I was going to say, I think the mayor told some other news outlet that he was surprised that a guy from Cleveland wanted to come work for $18 an hour, but that he thought he wanted to hunt and fish. It's like, okay. Mm. You know, when you have a hunch like that about somebody, you should, you should Google them. There's something, if anything at all, raises a red flag about the guy you're about to hire for your police force. You should Google them. Uh, just a little bit of advice. And, but, and I got to uh, say, you know, we got to give a hats off to a freelancer from a the Williamsport Sun, Garrett Carr. He was the first to report this story. He emailed us about it yesterday and said, I think this is the guy. I'm trying to check it out. So um, we got this when we were in the newsroom yesterday, and I was automatically to our pr- crime editor. I was like, John, wow. can you call this guy? Because this is crazy. And I, wow. you know, it's one of those tips that you kind of think, like, this can't be real, right? I mean, this is just <laughs> too out there. But when you get a tip like that, you check it out. And, yeah, it's true. And, you know, um, Tamir, Tamir's mother put out a statement. Their attorney put out a statement. And uh, I, this was all wild on Twitter last night. Oh, my gosh. I just, it's unbelievable. And I'm really surprised, actually, that Loman even wants to continue being yes! a police officer. Just give it up. Just give it up. Try something else. There are a yeah, lot not... of other. It's a, it's a, it's an employee's market out there. Go find something else to do. You I know. know you're, you're not going to escape this. This gonna it's gonna follow you. I don't understand and... why he w- wants to be a cop. Like it is proven he should not be a cop. Like his first job in Independence, he got fired because he was like too nervous on the gun range. Right? I could be off on the details, but he got fired. And that's and he lied on his application to Cleveland. That's why he ended up getting fired from Cleveland. But it was clear he does not have the temperament to be a police officer. And you think maybe he should realize that by now. That's right. Well, Google is the HR department's best friend. That's our tip for the day. (laughs) You're listening to Today in Ohio. Two longtime employees of Cuyahoga County's Division of Children and Family Services dropped a bombshell Tuesday night when they spoke during the public comments portion of county council's meeting. Laura, please tell us what did they reveal? This story by Caitlin Durbin is horrifying. And these social workers, they went to the council meeting basically to plead for resources and for a fix to an incredible problem that kids are basically living in the county's DCFS office, the Jane Enda Hunter <sighs> building. And the kids who have huge behavior or health issues, they leave whenever they want. Sometimes they take younger kids with them to be prostituted or raped. I mean, oh just let gosh. that sink in for a minute. I'm, these kids are taken from their families because their families cannot care for them. They are in danger and the county is supposed to keep them safe. And a they are living in an office building and leaving to be perpetrated in the absolute worst way possible. It is just so maddening and sad. And and, and the, it would took these longtime social workers who have been doing it for decades to come to county council because they're saying their administration leaves at 430 and they're stuck with the problem because this is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week problem that's been going on for years. This is an absolute crisis. I mean, first— Absolutely. And it's it, and it's a big enough crisis that we have children living in an office building, and that's been reported by media for years. And the county hasn't solved that problem. But now we're learning that many of these kids have very severe behavioral problems in some cases, and and they're they're high risk kids. And it and it appears, as you said, the staff that is charged with their care is not equipped or trained to properly care for them. That's not their job. Right. That puts them at high risk. 
And Caitlin wrote, there's this fascinating part of her story about how after this council meeting had ended, Budish and David Merriman, the director of the Department of Health and Human Services and council staff, sat there in council chambers discussing how they didn't know what to do to fix this problem. And the county has been looking for some kind of provider to take on these kids in, in what I think is probably a residential setting of some kind, even even using ARPA dollars to do it and telling them to name their price, essentially. But they've had no takers or, or those providers still want to exclude the kids that they see as the most problematic. And that's a non-starter because it leaves us right back where we are now with those children living at the county office building. But, you know, also Merriman and Budish don't seem to know what the law requires of the county when they take custody of these kids in this way. If the county has custody of a child, Laura, you were pointing this out when we were talking about it in the newsroom last night, they, when the county takes custody of a kid, it's because they weren't safe in whatever home environment they were in before. So if it's true that the county is then permitting these kids to leave the building at will and kind of throwing up their hands and like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We can't tackle them to the ground. And according to these reports, they're taking other kids with them to be prostitute, prostituted on the streets. The county has just completely failed. But to yeah, be I, fair, to be fair, the article also points up there are like more than 200 positions open across two agencies. They can't hire enough people to do it. I'm not condoning anything, but the, it points up a whole nother crisis of a severe staffing yes. shortage. You are completely right, Lisa. The county is obviously over its head here. It does not. I, this is not just them saying we don't care. This is they have absolutely no idea what to do here. And obviously, this is not the only county that has this issue. I bet every urban county in America is facing the same kind of crisis. So what are they doing? I, I, that's something that Caitlin Durbin, I'm sure, will be looking at because this is, we are failing these kids as a society. And you know what, this little tidbit, so no one's even answering the 696 kids hotline because those call takers are babysitting oh. those kids 16 mm. hours a day. So you could see child abuse you could be a mandatory reporter and call and you're going to get a ringing phone. No one is going to pick it up because there's nobody to take your call. So you got one crisis leading to another crisis. I'll tell you what. I mean, I understand. Yes, all those vacancies, like you said, Lisa, in May, the county reported 47 vacancies for child support officers, 124 for DCFS mm-hmm. social workers, and they were down 108 caseworkers at job and family services. Mm-hmm. But you've got to get your arms around that problem somehow. Where is the problem? Is it because you can't get the, the people in the pipeline to be trained for those problems? Are you not paying enough? Find the problem. You don't sit in the room last, you know, whatever, Tuesday night for the first time and scratch your head and, and ask, how do we do this? That can't be where you're starting to think about it. Let's get the wheels moving. The county government's most important duty is to the care and welfare of children. The county can't, in good conscience, brag about any other achievement while this is happening right under their noses. I'm, no Agreed. argument here. It is, it is absolutely one of the worst things I've ever heard about county government in the 15 years I've been a reporter and editor at Cleveland.com. And I covered the county for four years. And I spent like seven months shadowing 
DCFS workers, social workers, who, by the way, have to have a bachelor's degree and are, are trained in this. But one of the women who spoke at county council, who is in Caitlin's article, I talked to, you know, 10 years ago when I was doing this, and they were all overwhelmed then. I can't mm-hmm. even imagine how bad it's gotten since the pandemic and, you know, just with the way that the world is going, with all the gun violence, with all the trauma, that it is just, I, I mean, I can't, can't believe they're still doing these jobs because these this work is nearly impossible. Lisa, did you want to say something? Well, it's a little bit controversial, um, but these are kids who are, you know, behavioral problems that, or they have a criminal history. And I would argue that they were taken from their families because they were a danger to their families. Hmm. You know, I, I had a friend who had to give up, a, you know, a, a, an adopted child because the, the behavior was so bad that it was endangering his other children. So, hmm. I mean, there is that factor there. These kids are in, I would say, almost intractable. So, like I said, it yeah. might be a controversial thing, but these kids... You you're know. right. You're right, Lisa. I mean, and some of these workers are getting hit and spit on and and assaulted and they can't obviously assault the kids back. And if they are prostituting other children, I mean, then that is a crime and there should be consequences and juvenile court should be involved. Right. Like you, mm-hmm. you wonder how this works with juvenile court, because obviously they have the ability to keep kids contained. The question is, are these kids criminals? Right. And, and this is, an, at this time, an all-hands-on-deck crisis, or it should be considered that, when you've got kids, any kids, living in an office building. Anyway, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Why does Northeast Ohio congressional candidate Max Miller want the full transcript of his four-hour testimony before the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol released to the public? Lisa, what is going on here? Well, he seems to think that they've been cherry picking his four hour testimony. He um, they he sat for four hours of testimony back in June um, and he said that he was implicated by the committee and through his testimony that he said that Trump wanted to go to the Capitol with the protesters after the ellipse speech, which alludes to the fact that they, this was planned all along. It wasn't, you know, just impromptu. He wants all four hours of his testimony released. And he says, quote, every other transcript to be transparent with the American people. He said that he said the march to the Capitol was not even operationally possible. So the plain dealer reached out to the January 6th committee. Uh, Records indicate that Miller did have a role in planning the rally, as I said. Um, So yeah, he seems to think that releasing all of the testimony will make him sound like a better person. But his opponent, his Democratic opponent in the race uh, for 7th Congressional District, Matthew Deemer of Bay Village, is also calling for Miller's transcripts to be released in full. He says the people of Ohio deserve to know all of the testimony for different reasons, obviously. What do you think? I'm with Miller. Release it. Release the transcript, right? What do you think? Yeah, let the chips fall where they may. I mean, maybe he thinks that it will exonerate him, but, you know, he could be wrong in that respect. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. I mean, let's have it, baby. Let's lay it out. I mean, my suspicion is that Miller doesn't think the committee will actually release the transcript, so he's using that to his advantage Mm. to tell the public whatever he wants to about what might or might not be contained in that transcript. (laughs) Because, I mean, let's be honest, the thing he's saying the committee omitted from his recorded testimony is kind of minor. 
I mean, the, the part that's important is that Trump wanted to go to the Capitol with the protesters after right. the rally of the Ellipse. The omitted fact that Miller articulated reasons why they wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been possible for Trump to do that, feels a little bit beside the point. I mean, who cares? Right. It, it feels like Miller is trying to create a diversion with this argument about the transcript. But, but I mean, we're in the business of championing transparency. And I say, let's see the whole thing. Let's I'm do with it. You. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. President Joe Biden was in town yesterday. What did he have to say during his Cleveland stop at Max Hayes High School on Cleveland's west side, Laura? I don't think anybody was surprised that, you know, it it sounded like a pretty basic Biden talking point speech. He was talking up this Democratic back fix in the American Rescue Plan to keep at-risk pensions solvent through at least 2051. This was an official White House visit to talk about this rule that provides nearly $90 billion for the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. That's going to help shore up all of these multi-employer pensions for union retirees. And that includes about 100,000 Ohioans who will have their pension benefits guaranteed, as well as any lost benefits retroactively returned. So this is a big deal to people who are really worried that they had worked all their time, they'd been promised this money to live out their retirement, and they were afraid that they weren't going to see it, which I think has been a big, obviously, it's been a big issue for pensions for years now. But obviously, Biden also used this opportunity to say, hey, guys, if you're going to elect a bunch of Republicans in November, this is going to be a big problem and uh, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. You know, what struck me reading the story was, of course, that, you know, he was there to talk about this great accomplishment, protecting the pension benefits and and whatnot. But but how often Biden during his speech invoked the previous administration (laughs) and seemed to be working so hard to remind folks about the failures of Trump. And, you know, typically I feel like we, we, we usually move on from past presidents and focus on the election battles that loom ahead. But, but not this time, because Trump is as present in the midterms as he was during his presidency, I think. And it's, it's really an incredible phenomenon how completely this reality TV star has upended American politics. And I, I think that is that's a forever thing. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I mean, well, look, he's campaigning or or at least you know, giving the speech in the midst of the January 6th hearings. Like, you can't get away from Trump. We are yeah, true. watching how Trump tried to overthrow our entire government. So right. it's omnipresent. And then you have Trump acolytes like Max Miller and J.D. Vance, who had a press conference yesterday as kind of a counter to Biden's presence in Ohio, saying that, you know, he's trying to draw attention away from inflation by talking, and he should really be dealing with that instead of giving pensions to old people, which really landed bad in my ear. But, you know, they're <laughs> tone deaf anyway. <laughs> What do you make of Tim Ryan's absence from from the uh, Biden appearance? I mean, of course, he's going up against J.D. Vance uh, for the for Portman seat. And you'd expect someone in Ryan's situation to show up for a presidential appearance. He have, but he cited scheduling conflicts in, in his decision not to show up. That's but, like saying you're retiring to spend more time with your family, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, so, the pres- yeah, I think if you he's... have a scheduling conflict with the president, like the president wins. I think he's trying to draw moderate Republicans, quite frankly, people who are fed up with Trump. I mean, he went against, you know, uh, you know, the China situation with Biden. So, I mean, he hasn't always agreed with the president or his party. And I think he wants to show himself as a a fence straddler. Yeah. 
I'm sure he's trying to hold Biden at an arm's length, given the low approval ratings that Biden's had lately. I do want to say that Biden did address the Jalen Walker police shooting, and he said that Justice Department officials and the FBI's Akron field office are monitoring the investigation. If there's any evidence that reveals potential violations of federal criminal statutes, then the Justice Department will take action. Mm, interesting development there then. Huh. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What's to blame for the cancellation of several dozen flights to and from Cleveland over the long holiday weekend? Lisa, this sounds terrible. <laughs> well, and, and it's not going to get better anytime soon. I mean, it's the usual suspects, staffing shortages, there are strikes. I mean, people are getting stuck in Europe because the, there are European airlines that are striking and people can't get home to America. So anyway, July 4th was a very chaotic weekend for air travelers. In Cleveland, there were eight cancellations Friday, 10 flights canceled Saturday, three on Sunday, and eight on Tuesday. The most affected destinations from Cleveland were Los Angeles, New York City, D.C., Charlotte, which is a big hub, Denver, Toronto, and Orlando. And even Cleveland Airport Director Robert Kennedy got caught up. into. He had a Saturday flight to Atlanta canceled, and he's telling people who are flying, I mean, it's not going to get any better. A lot of experts have said that. He says it's time to pack your patience. Nationwide, there were 1,200 cancellations, 13,000 delays just on July 1st and 2nd. That was 3% of all weekend flights. Uh, we talked to an analyst, Henry Hartvelt, and he was using, using flight-aware data. He says, quote, airlines are doing a phenomenal job of destroying potential future demand. And he cited a survey that said 74% of summer travelers have regretted their decision to fly. Oh, my gosh. Uh, every single thing about the experience of being in an airport and on a plane, I find excruciating. So I'm going to defer to you guys completely on this question. Would this story deter you from airport travel okay. anytime soon? Absolutely. Or do you have plans to? Yeah, I, really? I, I, mm -hmm. I, well, I, I was I just could... going to say I had booked um, to go to Hartford on Breeze Airlines. They announced in March they were going to have this new flight from Akron Canton to Hartford and like I planned a trip with my next door neighbor and our daughters we're gonna go to Newport Connecticut and had it all planned and then I don't know a couple of weeks ago Breeze just canceled the entire Hartford oh. Hartford uh route you know they're, they're citing pilots they don't have enough pilots right so we're like oh man okay so for the same $49 price that they had crowed about when they announced it and we had all written it up right like Breeze Airlines so great then um Pittsburgh I was gonna fly out of Pittsburgh and I was like all right it's it's a drive, but it's still a direct flight, right? Then they canceled the route from Pittsburgh. And I was just like, I talked to Susan Glazer in the office, and I was just like, I don't know. She's like, we well, could fly JetBlue to Boston. So currently we have JetBlue flights to Boston. JetBlue, please do not cancel our flights. I really want to go on this vacation. But You'll all... just go anywhere on a plane. <laughs> I mean, I just... I just want to go, and it's really hard to go to the East Coast from Cleveland. I mean, the only places yeah. we fly direct are like, you know, Orlando. You're going to so, fly to Akron Canton Airport. <laughs> so I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. It's a direct flight. It's early in the morning, so, like, hopefully it's not terrible, but... I mean, all of these things just make you want to get in your car, right? And just be like, I will take yes. my chances on and, a highway. And those are some of the tips that Heartfelt gave, gave. You know, what you just said, Laura, book a nonstop flight, book early in the day. This is interesting. Pick an airline with daily flights to your destination. <laughs> because if they do cancel, it would be easier to rebook. They also said do online check-in, prepay for your check bags, or try to carry on if you can. And be nice to airline workers. I mean, those poor people. 
You know, I think I laughed out loud at the part of Susan Glaser's story where she wrote that as evidence of the struggle, Delta Airlines issued an unexpected offer last week, waiving fees for any traveler who wanted to change their itinerary and not fly over the long weekend. It's like, have we got an offer for our most loyal customers looking to get away from during the July 4th weekend? We'll pay you not to. It's like, what the heck? They're just incentivizing not using their business. And I was talking to someone about this, and it's like, why is it so bad? I know that, like, people are trying to travel more than ever, but somebody brought up the fact that they forced pilots to retire during the pandemic. Like, they, you know, they bought them out or they forced them to retire, and I don't think they're going back. And then the vaccine requirements, which I'm, you know, all for mandatory vaccinations or for somebody who's going to be flying a bunch of people around, but that that forced people out of the industry and they just don't have enough pilots. Oh my gosh. Well, buying out a bunch of of pilots without a long-term strategy for... For when they come back. Yes. uh, That was poor, poor planning. (laughs) Well, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Biking around the Cleveland area has gotten easier during the past decade, thanks to the installation of new bikeways and other projects. But how bikeable is the city and surrounding suburbs compared to the rest of the country and the world? Laura, what do we know? We have nothing to brag about. We are slightly (laughs) better than average, which could be our new slogan, right? Cleveland, (laughs) slightly better than average. Um, This is from the People for Bikes uh, Bicycle Network Analysis for 2022. We got a 26 out of 100. The national average is 24. Uh, the best in the world is a city in Netherlands with, I believe, a 93. And the best in Ohio is Athens, the college town where OU is. I think they did in the 50s. But, hey, Columbus is still is tied with us. So we are at least doing as well as Columbus. And a few of our neighborhoods have better scores. If you're in West Boulevard, Ohio City, Huff, Mount Pleasant, and Lee Harvard, you are, are better able to get to the things you want to on a bike. And those are access to core services like doctors and hospitals. Um stores and there's there's six criteria people opportunity core services shopping recreation and transit you know honestly i feel like cleveland only salvaged their middling score of 24 because of how they performed in those categories that are kind of the lowest hanging fruit right i mean road access to k-12 through schools and paths to recreational parks i mean well yeah those are like no-brainers they're they're like the the free square on the bingo card <laughs> where, where the rubber meets the road is with the categories that require a little more planning and effort, the bike lanes that lead to mass transit. And, and, mm-hmm. and for heaven's sake, all the gaps we have in the safe biking lanes, those so-called dedicated bike lanes in the city are great until they suddenly pinch you off and dump you into traffic. Did, did you so. see in Zachary Smith's story that the, when they redid Crocker road, this County offered, Hey, we'll put a wide bike lane next to like off the road, path next to the sidewalk and Westlake said yes and North Olmstead said no so it just stops at just the North Olmstead line and great. you're like dude what were you thinking North Olmstead oh my gosh that's the thing the lack of continuity you don't you know right if, you know years ago when I lived in Lakewood <laughs> I was dating this guy who, who was a transplant from Portland where they ride bikes everywhere right and I wanted to impress this guy, so I suggested one day that we ride our bikes from my apartment in Lakewood to the zoo. And let me tell you, if there was a safe way to get there on a bike, I could not figure it out. Because we took West 117th Street down to Memphis Avenue, 
And riding alongside semis on 117th was not at all what this kid from Portland had in mind when I suggested this bike ride to the zoo. We almost died like a hundred times. Oh, so I, if you got to tell you, like, and so I don't think we're counting sidewalks in this. And in my town, everybody rides on the sidewalk, and that's kids true. are on their bikes everywhere. And right. my kids bike to swim team, they bike to little league, uh, we bike to the library and the tennis courts, and you know the store. And so to the point where my daughter's like, mom, why do we have to bike everywhere? And I was like, because it's fun and gas is expensive. And she's right. like, oh, you're the worst. <laughs> but I maintain that biking is a, is a wonderful mode of transportation. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's get to one more. What is a, a fun one to do today? You know what? I want to I talk about uh, uh, Cleveland schools. Let's get to that one. The Cleveland Metropolitan School, school Board last week made a bold decision regarding three of their school buildings that had been named for slaveholders or other problematic figures. What did they decide? Laura? So we are going to have three new named schools by the start of the school year, probably a lot more in the future. They just haven't picked those names yet. So Patrick Henry School in the Glenville neighborhood is now Stephanie Tubbs Jones School. Obviously, Tubbs Jones was a county uh, common pleas judge, a prosecutor, and the state, actually the state's first black pros- black prosecutor, and the first black woman m- member of Congress from Ohio. Um, Thomas Jefferson International Newcomers Academy is, which, you know, put international newcomers next to Thomas Jefferson, but it's now Natividad Pagan International Newcomers Academy. He was a Cleveland educator who was once the executive director of multilingual education, and she was once principal of the school now named for her, which is really cool. And then Louis Agassiz School in the West Boulevard neighborhood now is Mary Church Terrell School. She was an internationally known activist for racial equality and women's rights, a charter member of the NAACP, a graduate of Oberlin, and a teacher at Wilberforce College. And I have never heard of Louis Agassiz until I read Courtney Astolfi's story. He was a 19th century Swiss biology who endorsed scientific racism, um, showing, using, uh, believing that empirical evidence exists to justify racism, racial inferiority, or racial superiority, which why was that guy ever on a school name in the first place? I don't know. He must have had some other kind of accomplishment that made it worthy. But, you know, what's great about this is that, that these, these new names, they have mm-hmm. local significance to yes. the community. These are actual local heroes, not just founding fathers, so generic, you know. Right. And, and, and honest, CMSD shouldn't hesitate to rename every school that is named for, for some slaveholder, otherwise troubling figure in history. I mean, children, children in a majority black city should not have to attend school in buildings that are named after their oppressors, period. And that is what Kevin Conwell put it. And I thought it was really I love well. that. Yeah, I love that. exactly. That quote, no one on this planet should you go to school where you're honoring your oppressors. Like, period. End of story. Totally right there. And this was a very deliberate process after the death of George Floyd. It obviously was not a short process. They're still in the process of naming a bunch of schools. But it was really thoughtful and involved the community and parents and kids and good for them. I hope this continues. And I hope anytime somebody raises their hand and says, I think we should rethink this name, because there there is a lot of meaning in a name. And these kids should go to a school named after someone they can look up to. Change for the better. I love the story. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's all for Thursday. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Lisa. Join us Friday for another discussion of the news.